This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is The Crash at Crush. 2020 may feel like an exceptional year, but let me tell you, 1896 could hold its own against 2020. It was a pretty eventful year, to say the least. Here's what I mean. On January 4th, Utah became the 45th state in the Union. The X-ray was discovered by William Röntgen in Austria that same month. On March 1st, Ethiopia defended its independence from Italy, defeating the European country in the Battle of Adwa. On April 4th, the first known women's basketball game between two universities took place when Stanford played California. Two days later, the opening ceremonies for the first modern Olympic Games happened in Athens, Greece. So the Olympics as we know them started in 1896. On May 18th, the Supreme Court upheld racial segregation in the case of Plessy v. Ferguson. So not a good moment, right? On June 5th, the Ford Company completed its first vehicle, the Ford Quadricycle, and not the Model T, as many people think, but the quadricycle was the first, and the thing that allowed Ford to go on to build the Model T. In other car-related advances, on August 17th of that year, a woman by the name of Bridget Driscoll was run over by a Benz in London on the grounds of the Crystal Palace, and she became the first ever car-related fatality. On August 23rd, the Philippine Revolution started. On November 3rd, there was that year there was also an election and William McKinley won the US presidency. And on Christmas of that year, John Philip Sousa composed arguably the most enduring piece of American music of all time. Stars and Stripes Forever. See what I mean? 1896 had a lot of stuff happen in it. But my favorite thing that happened in this year happened in my home state of Texas, right outside of Waco, in a made-up town where tens of thousands of people came together to watch two 30-ton steam locomotives slam into each other for no particular reason in what was billed as the Crash at Crush. sounds made up. It's a totally ridiculous event, but it really happened. On September 15th, 1896, around 40,000 people gathered in the middle of nowhere, right outside of Waco, Texas, to watch two locomotives crash directly into each other. You know, like the types of games children play where they slam things into each other only in real life. Why did this event happen, you might ask? Well, for publicity, of course. The event was conceived by William George Crush, who was a passenger agent for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad, also known as the KT Railroad or the KD Railroad. Now, I'm not too familiar with railroad jobs besides engineer and conductor, but based on what I could find, a passenger agent was mostly in charge of sales for the railroad. So they'd be in charge of, you know, making and confirming reservations, providing tours, selling group tours, that kind of stuff. Essentially, William Crush was in sales for the Katy Railroad. 
The late 19th century was also a rough time for Americans. A recession was just ending, and through it all, railroads kept expanding all throughout the country, so they needed passengers, and they needed passengers badly, but the demand just wasn't there. The KD in particular had just finished upgrading most of its 30-ton steam engines to 60-ton steam engines, so they had a stockpile of near-obsolete engines to deal with, as well as trying to generate demand for their railroads. So that's where our boy Bill Crush steps in. Crush had a scheme. Take two of those old 30-ton locomotives and run them into each other. Stage a train wreck as an attraction. Make it in the middle of nowhere where our train line runs and sell tickets to passengers from all over the state to come and see the crash. Advertise it months in advance and we'll make money. The fine folks down at management at the KD liked the idea and approved him to go on and stage this event. So throughout the summer of 1896, Crush set out to market this event through bulletins and circulars all throughout Texas. The two engines that would crash into each other were painted bright red and bright green, and they toured the state to draw attention to the event. While at the same time, preparations began in a specially selected valley just outside of Waco. Four miles of track were laid down, along with a bandstand, a reporter stand, a grandstand for honored guests, two telegraph offices, a restaurant tent borrowed from Ringling Brothers, a carnival, and a special train depot that was 2,100 feet long. And so the temporary town of Crush, Texas was born. As the trains toured the state, many local newspapers started reporting daily on the state of preparations at Crush, and the railroad set a flat rate of $2 for ticket to and from Crush for the event. On the day of, the made-up temporary town of Crush, Texas really must have been a sight to behold. In addition to everything I said earlier, there was a dozen lemonade stand and tanks of artesian mineral water, and they even had a jail with 200 cops patrolling the grounds and throwing people in jail if they misbehaved. Uh, the fair that was set up also had attractions based on the 1893's World Fair Midway in Chicago. William Crush expected around 20,000 people to show up, but by 10 a.m. there was already 10,000 and trains kept pouring in from across the state. Some cars were so full that people were sitting on the roof of them. In total, 40,000 people showed up, which at that point made the temporary town of Crush, Texas, the second largest city in the state behind only Houston. So 40,000 people take a train to the middle of nowhere and are sitting around this valley to watch two 30-ton steam engines slam into each other. Imagine how William Crush felt at that moment. That's at least $80,000 he just made for the railroad. That's not counting all the money they spent at the fair or at the restaurants or whatever, which I'm sure the railroad is getting a cut off as well. Not only that, but everyone has been talking about his marketing stunt for months now, and it's all come to this. He must have been feeling so proud of himself, which is why this next part of the story is so funny to me. At 5.10 p.m., William Crush came out into the middle of this crowd on a white horse and waved his hat, signaling for the trains to start, and the crowd roared to life. I cannot imagine how this dude felt. I mean, I even imagine the horse dancing there like, you know, charro style and him holding his hat up in the air way longer than he should have, just basking in the glory of his dumb marketing stunt. And then the train started moving back. Once they reached all the way back into their straight line, they started moving forward. 
The engineers aboard the trains jumped off after about 30 yards and the trains kept speeding up faster and faster. I can imagine the crowd was so excited seeing this happen. Eventually, the trains reached speeds of about 50 miles per hour. 30 tons of metal plus boxcars behind them at 50 miles an hour and then they slam into each other. The newspaper out of Dallas had a reporter there who describes it in a great way. They said the following, quote, A crash, sound of timbers rent and torn, and then a shower of splinters. There was just a swift instant of silence, and then, as if controlled by a single impulse, both boilers exploded simultaneously, and the air was filled with flying missiles of iron and steel, varying in size from a postage stamp to half a driving wheel, falling indiscriminately on the just and unjust, the rich and the poor, the great and the small, end quote. So before this whole thing was even approved, there was some fears that the boilers could explode, but Crush and the Katie administration played down that fear. But that's exactly what happened. And the crowd was thrown into a panic. They started running everywhere. A photographer on the grandstand lost an eye. Two people were killed and six were seriously injured. But dozens more had some injury and everyone got the hell scared out of them too. The same reporter goes on to write, quote, All that remained of the two engines and 12 cars was a smoking mass of fractured metal and kindling wood, except one car on the rear of each train, which had been left untouched. The engines had both been completely telescoped, and contrary to experience in such cases, instead of rising in the air from the force of the blow, were just flattened out. There was nothing about the cars big enough to save except pieces of wood, which were eagerly seized upon and carried home as souvenirs. End quote. That's my second favorite part. That after all the initial fear wore out, the people rushed into the crash like it was candy from a piñata and just started grabbing souvenirs to take home with them. <laughs> and at this point, how do you think William Crush felt? He went from holding his hat up in the air while dancing on his trusty steed to throwing a crowd of 40,000 people into a panic and literally killing people with his marketing stunt. He got fired immediately, by the way. But the crash at Crush made national headlines, international headlines even, and very few of it was negative. So he got rehired the next day. After all, the goal was to get people talking about the Katie and everyone was talking about it. As for the deaths and injured, the man who lost his eye was paid $10,000 and given a lifetime railroad pass, and everyone else was promptly settled out of court. All in all, this ridiculous event was a success, and it wasn't the last locomotive crash in the United States. In fact, I think if you were to stage one today, it would probably be heavily attended. Maybe not 40000 but at least more than 5000 would go. I, th I think even I would go. I mean, I'd sit really far away, though. Maybe I'd take a drone and see it from the drone from half a mile away or something like that. Like that. But I would at least want to be close enough to where I could hear them crash. And I'm sure you listening right now are thinking about it and you're like, yeah, maybe I'd like to see that. So there's a couple of things to learn from the crash at Crush. The first is that people love to slam crap into one another. <laughs> that fascination doesn't seem to really go away. I mean, what is a Large Hadron Collider if not continuous crash at crush on the subatomic scale? We're literally ooing and aahing at scientists slamming crap into each other. 
slamming things into each other is universal. Secondly, companies will do ridiculous things for publicity, especially putting people in harm's way, and it doesn't matter the amount of damage they do if the goal of getting people to talk about us is achieved. That goal trumps everything. William Crush went on to have a long career in the Katy until he retired. So be careful of engaging in these types of stunts because ultimately the individual's well-beings are the last thing in mind. And lastly, and maybe what I keep thinking about most concerning the crash at Crush is how ill-prepared they were for the two boilers exploding. How the people who put on the show downplayed the power of the thing they were doing. This is a phenomenon that we can see near the end of the 19th century or the beginning of the 20th which is a fundamental misunderstanding of the real power that our advances in technology have. They never expected both boilers to blow up at the same time, and they never expected them to cause as much havoc as they did. A couple of years later, Europe would be thrown into the most nonsensical war in the history of European wars, with the most horrible of events happening because, again, people didn't seem to understand the power of the technology they had created. I mean, World War I is where artillery was born and chemical warfare and tanks and young men throughout Europe were destroyed, not just physically, but mentally. Think about it. The war started with horses and, you know, swords, and it ended with artillery shelling and chemical warfare. That's insane. It makes me wonder, what technology are we playing with now, holding stupid events like slamming it together without realizing how dangerous it is? The easy answer is to go back to the Large Hadron Collider and think that we genuinely do not understand what could happen if we were to hit two subatomic particles together just right. But I think the biggest one for me is not the Large Hadron Collider, but is the internet. Specifically, control of our personal data on the internet or the lack thereof. The fact is, the internet hasn't been around that long, and our data is still very much out in the wild, and we have very little control over it. Every single company out there has a profile for every user, and they model behavior and advertising or whatever based on that profile. In essence, every company is creating a version of you in their data. That's how banks can predict whether something is suspicious or not, or how Netflix determines what it thinks you might like because your bank and Netflix have a you that they've built based on the information on the data that they've gathered from the real you. Does that make sense? I don't mean to sound alarmist or anti-technology or anti-internet because I'm not, but I do wonder if there is no understanding of that data and how to tie it to ourselves. Whether we're heading down a metaphorical crash at crush and we're thinking, there's no way the boilers could explode, not understanding the true power of what it means to not have control of our data and let so many, you know, versions of ourselves out there. Just like the people who gathered into that valley had no idea the trains could cause that much chaos, I kind of feel like we don't know how much chaos our data being out in the wild could really cause. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Because frankly, I think it's better to think of the Large Hadron Collider opening up a rift in the time-space continuum than whatever it is I just said. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I really wanted to talk about this trains crashing into each other, but then I always start thinking that our data is going to become 
something that we can't really control. And it kind of freaks me out. So I kind of wanted to share that with you. Good news. Colorado Proposition 114 passed. So Colorado is getting wolves and I'm very happy about it. And stay tuned to this space uh, as, as work there continues. I will be tracking that very attentively. Um, if you like the show, share it with a friend, share it with someone. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or podchaser.com. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Irrelevant Pods and Instagram Irrelevant Podcast. See you next time. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong and don't print anything out. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.